0: you listening to 100 words or less with Ray Harkins. What's up everybody? Hope you're doing okay. I'm sitting here in Southern California getting pelted by rain. Well, fortunately, I'm not getting pelted because I'm indoors. Like that's the smart thing to do, but hopefully all the snow and everything else that everyone's going through is uh, is okay. And let this let this hour-long conversation with people involved in independent music, whether it's creating it, producing it, documenting it, whatever it is, it's all connected to the DIY punk, hardcore, metal scene. That's what we care about here. So hopefully this this hour-long conversation will be a respite for whatever you're going through. I know that this time, it definitely is for me. I have a great guest this week. This is Mike Williams from I Hate God. I love I Hate God. I had to reckon with the band when, uh, and I I mean that in a positive way, when I worked at Century Media Records. uh, I was already aware of the band's name, um, and obviously a very, you know, sort of like provoking band name. And uh, I just I, I fell in love with them. Once I, you know, their their reputation preceded them. Then, uh, you know, I tell a little bit about that at the beginning of our interview. But uh, I just love this band, and they just had a new record come out on Century Media Records. Ironically enough, because for a while there they weren't working with the label, but it just came out. It's called A History of Nomadic Behavior. It's really really good. We're gonna play a little clip of it before we uh, head into the interview. But go check it out on whatever. Platform you consume music. Uh, I personally pre-ordered the vinyl. I'm excited to get it. But yeah, Mike is uh, a great dude. He's gone through a lot in his life and uh, is not soured by any of the negative experiences that he has had from being in jail and, you know, having drug problems and. All of this stuff that he pours into his art and pours into his music—it's—it's uh, it's really compelling stuff, um, especially from a person who has not been to jail like myself, or has not had any drug abuse like myself. And so it's just a—you uh, know—it's a really honest portrayal of—you uh, know what that's what that's like. And yeah, Mike and I get deep into it, and it was a, a great conversation. So. What you can do to help the show. I do get people that ask that question. It's like, hey, should I, you know, subscribe to your Patreon? No, don't even worry about that. It's not a big deal. Just one, support the advertisers that run this show because that is a positive way that this show is able to, you know, become valid in the eyes of the advertising community. Two, or actually, let's let's do three. Two, You can subscribe to this podcast or follow this podcast on whatever platform you consume podcasts because that way the new episodes get shot to you directly. You don't miss a beat from that perspective. I know a lot of people hear the word subscribe and they're like, wait a minute, this thing's free. Yes, of course it's free. But the word subscribe, you know, sometimes it's a negative connotation where people are like, oh, I'm paying for the thing. Don't even worry about that. Just follow along and you will get all of those episodes delivered to you on a weekly basis. And the last thing you can always email the show, 100 podcast at gmail.com. Sometimes I get so excited to spit out that email address, I get it wrong. But yeah, correspond with the show, a.k.a. me. I love hearing from people, love hearing their experiences, and you know whatever else you got, I'm, I'm there for it. But uh, let's talk to Mike. It's just an incredible conversation. Like I said, they just released a new record called A History of Nomadic Behavior that's out on Century Media Records. Check it out, and uh, here's the convo. I've been, I'm 40 years old. I've been, you know, aware of the band for, uh, you know, quite some time, but, um, I, you know, pr- like I, I'm a punk and hardcore kid and kind of came through the, you know, scene that way. And, um, it was interesting because I actually worked at Century Media Records for about 10 years in the 2000s. Oh, and really? Yeah. And it was, uh, it, I, Steve Joe was the one who hired me. Great guy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Old
1: Steve Joe, man. Steve is a great guy, man. I, I, uh. I, haven't talked to him since the the self-titled album came out in like 2013 i have not talked to steve joe
0: yeah he's a yeah. yeah great great dude but yeah that so working at century media that's where I, I really got tuned into you guys um and you know frankly partially because so many people were you know you, the legend of i hate god loomed large <laughs> within those walls and I'm sure it's extremely funny for you because, um, you know, there's clearly a mythology about yourself and the band that exists, you know, some true, some not true. Sure, um, yeah. is, it, is it funny for you to hear like anecdotal stories about, you know, yourself that are not even remotely true or are partially true? And you're just like, where did that even come from?
1: Yeah, it's funny, but I um, mean, I guess it depends on what it is, you know, I mean, <laughs> if it's something true. horrible that's not true, then that sucks that it's like going around. But, uh, but yeah, it's mostly funny stuff. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to hear those stories.
0: Right. And I, I'm sure too, from the, um, I mean, I know working at the label, it was interesting where it was like, you know, we, uh, we, we gave the band money for, you know, recording and whatever else they needed. And sometimes we weren't even sure if that money was going or if a record was going to come back, you know, <laughs>
1: Well, that's funny because we, we there's a couple times we thought, like, let's just do a noise record. Let's just do an ex- experimental uh, noise record and just send it to them and like, keep the money. <laughs>
0: no, dude, it's funny you say that because I literally, there was, uh, once I started getting more familiar with, uh, you know, contracts and obviously how they worked, I was always surprised there was this, uh, you know, kind of, really specific clause of like, you need to turn in, you know, a 10 album track that totals over 25 minutes or whatever. And I do remember you saying that. I remember that was a story where it was like, oh yeah, I Hate God wanted to turn in like a a one track, you know, 40 minute noise track. So like, that's why we kind of include that in a recording contract.
1: Oh really? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we have definitely thought about doing that before. So it's that's true. That's we never actually did it, but we did think about it.
0: <laughs> I, I I love that. I, Cause I, I mean, there's nothing funnier. I mean, just from a pure comic standpoint of, ret- you know, turning in a recording that is like, you know, borderline unlistenable, but like, Hey, here's our record guys.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I guess that there are specifications there that, you know, say they have to be songs and you know, this many minutes or whatever, but yeah, I mean, we there it was considered there for a minute maybe we could
0: get away with this
1: and just keep the money <laughs>
0: <laughs> right right it's like hey guys we turned we turned in a record so here you go
1: <laughs> yeah right i mean it's i'm sure someone's done it somewhere but uh i mean but no we wanted to make music you know we were we weren't super happy with that label at certain times but we we uh you know we got our stuff out and i mean when steve joe was there it was starting to become a better label i think like now it's it's cool i wish steve still worked there but uh i know he's got his uh whatever why he doesn't but um yeah back in the the late i guess it was early 90s when we first signed it was i mean they basically took advantage of us i mean you know we were a young band we we uh they offered us, you know, to tour Europe and we were like, sure, where do we sign? You know, we didn't, we couldn't afford a lawyer to look at the contracts or anything like that, you know? So it was basically that kind of deal, you know, and then here 30 years later, you know, but, um,
0: right, right.
1: Well, I mean, They've done sh- some great things as well, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm sure too, the difficulty of looking at you know the art that you guys were creating and the aesthetic that you were creating. That's a you know sometimes a difficult thing to quote unquote market. So I'm sure there was a lot of discussions with you guys on like how the band should be perceived from like a commercial endeavor.
1: Yeah, I mean in in the early days, I mean they used to like there was a guy named Oliver that I think he was one of the first owners or creators of the label. Him and a guy named Robert uh, Comp. Yep. Yep. Those guys, uh, I don't know. You may have even heard, heard of Robert, but, uh, I think he was still around until he sold it or something. But, um, yeah, they used to give us advice and like these things we should do, you know, and we are just like, fuck you. We're, you know, we're. I mean being on a label is it's there's a lot that goes with it you know I mean we want to put out records but we don't want to change our artistic views at all you know we always make sure we put in the contracts that we have total control of the artwork and all that but Century Media there was an album that came out in like 2000 where they put a back cover on an album called Confederacy of Ruined Lives they put something on the back cover that we had no idea what it was. And that was kind of annoying, you know, but, uh, and we did ask for total control on that, but, you know, so we, we've had our issues with them.
0: Sure. Well, it is difficult when you are talking about the, you know, sort of outlaw renegade art that you're creating and then how it directly, uh, you know, is in sometimes opposition with the way that like, well, we got to sell some records. Like, you know, <laughs> what are we going to do with this?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the old punk scene in the seventies when, you know, everybody's their anti rock star and anti all of this stuff. But, but then, you know, the clash signed to Epic records, you know, and people were starting to sign to these generation X assigning to a big label. And, you know, it's just uh it's that dichotomy of like, what do you do here? You want to spread your art the way you want you want a lot of people to see your art and your music but how do you go about that you know so we've kind of always been at war with labels and things like that I'm not a big fan of labels but they are helpful especially you know bigger ones that can distribute your stuff
0: Mhm absolutely which we'll uh, we'll dig into that a little bit later but I wanted to put the focus more on you where I know that you know you were born and raised in North Carolina um, do you, what year did you, or I guess how old were you when you moved out of North Carolina down to New Orleans?
1: That was like 77, 78, end of 77. It was, okay. My dad My dad passed away at the end of 77 and uh, me and my brother moved to New Orleans after that.
0: Got it. How old were you at the time? Like, do you have any memories of North Carolina or?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, I had a decent growing up i mean i guess i mean my father was abusive but it you know that kind of happened happened later um i mean i've got good memories of it too i mean it was you know north carolina's beautiful we used to take trips and go to myrtle beach and uh the outer banks you know and all that cape fear and all that stuff so we had, we had some good times i still uh i still love the beaches there a lot
0: mm-hmm what uh just be I mean I've never been to a beach in North Carolina. I've been to North Carolina many times, but um how does it uh i guess differ from the uh rest of the uh coasts as it were?
1: I don't know. I mentioned Myrtle Beach, but actually Myrtle Beach is in South Carolina, but that we would go there for a vacation since they're so close but uh the outer banks is off the coast of North Carolina. It's just very cool i don't I don't know how to describe it. It's been so long since I've been there. But it's just always Uh in the back of my mind. There's just white sand, and it's very gorgeous, you know? But there's some kind of, like, haunting. Maybe that's just me, though. Maybe that's my problem. But there's just, like, (laughs) this haunting uh, vibe that it gives off to me. It was also, like, uh, the coast where a lot of shipwrecks happened. And uh, it was a lot of, like, it might sound silly, but it was a lot of pirate activity out in those oceans that way you know in ancient days and uh, a lot of that stuff like blackbeard and stuff happened off the coast of North Carolina. So I don't know something about the shipwrecks and the uh, the white sand and I don't know it's just, there's this just, uh, a certain image it gives off to me and I still just think about it all the time.
0: Sure, it's the the atmosphere as it were.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. Um and I know, you, like your family structure, like you mentioned, older brother. Your your father passed away. Um, and was was your mother in the picture, or was she gone by that point?
1: She she died in like I'm not sure what year, but I was like mm-hmm. maybe, maybe nine years old at the time. So yes, yeah, passed it. away first, then my dad a few years later. So yeah, and that's when we moved to New Orleans. My brother was uh, kind of a hippie kind of a hippie like he had been in vietnam and he came out vietnam war he came out and decided he wanted to hitchhike everywhere and just grew his hair long, and you know hitchhiked all over the place and um so i don't know he had been to new orleans and loved it there so i had no idea what was happening you know i was just like wow we're leaving but uh i'm I'm so glad that it happened you know i mean if i was stuck in north carolina like I mean, he took custody of me, you know, so he, I could have gotten uh, sent to an aunt or somebody like that. And I mean, that's insane if that would have happened. I would, I'm sure I'd be a whole different person, you know?
0: Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's really kind of special that, you know, your brother took the responsibility uh, because, you know, sometimes, (laughs) sometimes kids are just like, you know, oh, I, I, I'm not ready for this in any capacity, so I can't do this.
1: Yeah, I mean he was uh, you know, he's a lot older than me, but um he's like 20 years older than me. So, uh, I don't know if he w- wanted to like 100% at first, you know, but it's sure. really cool of him that he did that, you know, and actually put the effort into it to take care of me and because he didn't want me to go to some other relative, you know. So, You know, my brother was into music and art and all these things, which obviously rubbed off on me.
0: No, absolutely. Well, and I'm sure too, you felt, you know, that much more kind of bonded with him. Like, did you, did you kind of look up to him as like a, you know, father figure in a way because of that relationship you guys developed?
1: Well, I mean, I still think of him as a brother. He's still around actually. Um, yeah, I th- I always thought of him as just my brother. I think um mm-hmm. that could be something to do. With- I rebelled a lot with him. I mean, I gave him a lot of a lot of strife. You know, I mean, I was just uh you know, I don't think he was ready for all that. I mean, all that had happened to me I guess, you know, caused me to 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 act out, you know, and just uh I was just, you know, trouble, always making trouble somewhere or somehow. So he was pretty uh pretty tough to take that on you know
0: sure absolutely uh i I'm going to uh guess like you mentioned your um you know your brother was very influential into your music taste and kind of you know being able to introduce you to a lot of stuff um what kind of took you to sort of the next step in regards to you know finding out about you know, because I know you—you you got really into you know the punk and hardcore that was coming out in the late '70s, early '80s, and seeing bands like you know Black Flag and Minor Threat and stuff like that. Yeah. How did you kind of get into that?
1: Well, actually, I had another brother who passed away, my, uh, a brother Gary who was closer to my age, but um, yeah, so there was that also. Uh, okay, he had more of the record collection that I enjoyed. I think, you know, having two older brothers is great when you're a kid. So, you know, especially if you like music. So, I you know, I dug into his collection and I loved Alice Cooper and Black Sabbath and The Who, you know, I loved that stuff. I mean, there's Rolling Stones. There's a ton of other stuff, too. But uh, I don't know. I think that led me on the rock path, you know, somehow. And like, uh, of course, anybody my age was into probably into Kiss You know, that Kiss was like the first band that was like a band that I found, you know. So from Mm -hmm. the rock that he had, I found my own band that I thought were, you know, no no one knew about them, but it was Kiss, you know. So I found this band Kiss, you know, and, um, you know, got into that whole thing. And, you know, buying magazines with Kiss on the cover or an article about Kiss, there's this little – a couple of pages are or, or a small thing about uh, this new thing, this punk rock thing, you know? So I thought this looks very interesting as well. It's something extreme, you know, going along with the rock thing and that. So I got into, you know, sex pistols and, and the damned and the clash and generation X, I guess I mentioned earlier, Devo, like all these, you know, all, all these things. And it just appealed to me in in the best way.
0: Right. Was it, um, and what was your first experience, I guess, from like that sort of, you know, DIY culture show, you know, where you're showing up in a small room with, you know, a hundred other people or whatever, and kind of, you know, really feeling the experience viscerally. Um, you know, what, I guess, what was your first show from that perspective? And then like, what, uh, I guess captured you, uh, once you witnessed that live? Well, there was a
1: local band, a new Orleans band called the normals who, um, they ended up, they only did a seven inch, but, um, it's been re-released on, uh, last laugh records actually. But, um, they had a bunch of unreleased stuff that later became an album, but it was after they broke up, you know, but this band, the normals, they were kind of like, kind of, kind of, I don't know how to describe them. They were kind of uh British invasion, but also meets the sex pistols. Kind of, uh, I, I don't know. That's probably not a good description, but, he knew I was getting into this music, I was buying these records, my older brother, he my brother Danny, my old the one that took me in as a, uh, you know, he was my guardian. He uh knew I liked these things and he worked at a club that had, you know, bands playing. So when I was very young before I could, you know, even enter a club, he took me there to see the Normals. And, you know, there was other local bands in New Orleans, like the Contenders, the Backstabbers, uh, the Men in Black. Uh, there was there was a, a, you know, a little scene going on, you know, there. But uh, so he took me to see that. And I don't even know, it's probably 1978. That's really when I kind of mark it is when I that's I mark the year like that. I probably really got into punk like that was 1978. So yeah, going to see those shows uh, were incredible. It was just you know this is when people were still pogoing, you know, and wearing Mm -hmm. the the, you know the the you know the silly sunglasses, and everybody's got safety pins on and all this stuff. So it was really cool though to to for my brother to do that, but also like the bands I was reading about that were mostly besides like the Ramones and a few others in America it was mostly a uh, thing happened in the UK, but um, you know, this local band in New Orleans was, was doing it. And it just, that was it from then on. I was like hooked, you know?
0: Yeah, no, that's cool. And <clears throat> like you, I, I know you've articulated this in other interviews where, you know, whatever around nine or 10 is when you started to think in your head, like, I want to play in a band, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> And did you <laughs> like, did you pick up instruments first or were you like, oh, I always want to be the vocalist? What was your journey there?
1: No, I mean, there was so many different, like, I call them bedroom bands, you know, because it's just like you and your friend or somebody like you, like with a tennis racket and then like a broken guitar and, and uh, somebody's banging on boxes or something with drumsticks, like those type of things, just, uh, you know, just imagining what it would be like, you know, I think a lot of kids do that, you know, so... Uh, I'm not sure what age I was, but yeah, there was a friend of mine and we just were like, we're, we're, we're a band now. And we had a band called the vacants, you know, as in pretty vacant, but the vacants, but, uh, but we didn't have any instruments or didn't have any songs or anything, but we put an ad, we didn't even pay for this. We sent this ad to a local fanzine in new Orleans and, uh, called final solution. It was a local punk zine, And they like printed the ad and stuff. So that was like the first time, like, you know, and it had our names in the ad and stuff. And I'm like, Holy shit. We're not even a real band. Like, but they put our ad in the magazine. So that was interesting. But that was like the first time I had, you know, any idea like, man, this could ease, could be easily done. You know, we can, we can, it's all do it yourself. Anyway, we can, we just need some guitars and drums and things. But, uh, I didn't end up doing anything with him as far as musically, but, um, not long after that, I met some guys at school into punk and I started a band called teenage waste. And that was my very first band. And did you sing for that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I sang for it. Oh, right. Your other thing. Uh, yeah, I wanted to play guitar at first. Um, you know, I I still play a little guitar, just power chord stuff, but, uh, and um, I took drum lessons at one point. And I wanted to be a drummer, you know, um, things like that, you know. But it, no, nothing panned out, and I finally was like, "Well, the easiest thing to do would be the singer." And actually, that's best right. job in the band, you know. Anyway, so I'm the singer, right. you know, just you right. Know, everybody, I'm the singer. And
0: so that was right. that. I was the
1: singer. load
0: any. Yeah, you don't got any. You don't have to load any equipment. You're good.
1: Yeah, I never load equipment ever.
0: I that's, that's perfect. Yeah. Well you fit right into the lead singer mold.
1: Totally, man. I, I do. <laughs> um, but yeah, teenage waste. I mean, we actually did a lot of gigs for, you know, I was like 15 years old.
0: You're probably running out of things to wear, right? Like whether it's, you know, you maybe just don't do laundry very much or you're kind of sick of the same old stuff that you're wearing day in and day out. How about get some new band merch? Because I know myself, I love getting a new t shirt in the mail or a new hoodie or a new scarf. Whatever it is, you can go to rockabilia.com. You knew it was coming, but I love Rockabilia. Use this code PC100Words. That gets you 15% off your order immediately. Use that code and it shows support to this show. So PC100Words, they are an amazing, independently run company that ships all of your merch out quickly, efficiently, and plus, they have so many things you can choose from. Like, I've, I've told you this before, they have over half a million items. And no joke, you can get lost in the rabbit hole where you're just like, I wonder if they have this band merch. Oh, wow, they do. And I've seen some really, really cool long sleeves. I'm a huge long sleeve dude. And I like it when I see bands putting their long sleeves out with some rad sleeve print and like i mean I, I saw some metallica merch i'm not a huge metallica dude but i looked at this merch and i was like probably gonna have to order that ride the lightning white long sleeve they got some rad rad sleeve print but anyways rockabilly.com the best place for merch on the internet use this code pc100words and again 15% off you can't beat that deal trust me like if you go to the website you'll be like oh 10% off not if you're listening to this podcast so pc100words now he the rest of the interview. I, I'm guessing that you're, um, you know, a, a, as your brother was kind of, you know, raising you and you were, um, you know, starting to like get really into this, this subculture, uh, you know, did your, uh, was your brother like pretty permissive with what you were kind of like bringing home and getting into and le- left you to your own devices? Or was he like, hey, Mike, like, what is this stuff? Like, wh- what are you doing?
1: No, he, I don't think he knew really what was going on. And he probably thought like, there's no way he's got a a band, you know, like some of the members came over, like uh, my guitar player, Bruce, he came over and uh, and like, my brother didn't like him immediately. He thought he was a bad influence on me. This guy, like, you know, he, he looked the part, you know, he looked like a punk rocker, you know? So uh, that wasn't, you know, my brother, I think that was when my brother, before that, I don't think he really thought I really had a band, maybe he thought I was just imagining this whole thing, but I did have a band, you know we'd rehearse during the day or something like that, and I would come home but we uh once we started getting gigs, I had to you know either f- I had to figure out a way to do the gigs, so I started like sneaking out or um you know making like a fake school note you know from my teacher and saying that I'm going to an uh, event at the school, you know, uh, something like that. And, and I would go play a gig and then come home. But, uh, it, it just slowly graduated into me. Um, just, I ran away from home and I would just leave for the weekend and then come back and, you know, and that wasn't good. He didn't, you know, wasn't happy with that. So, uh, yeah,
0: that's, that's yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. Um what uh, did you I'm going to presume that uh, school was not engaging for you. Like uh you know, you weren't um you know getting uh A- straight A's or anything like that. Like did you care about school in any capacity or was that just something that you had to do?
1: I um, I guess at one point I cared about it, but uh yeah, it started being boring. I mean, the only classes I liked were the ones with the, where the teachers were cool and nice to me, you know, and uh, so I mean I loved English and I loved reading and spelling and all these things, but anything other than that, I wasn't that hip to, you know?
0: Yeah. And I guess as you were navigating that, did you have any perception of what a quote unquote life path would look like? Like, Oh, I'm going to grow up and, you know, be this person or be this, you know, career, or was that just basically so far removed from you that you didn't even entertain that thought?
1: I never even thought about it. You know, n- none of me or, or my friends, I don't think, did. I mean, some right. of the guys, you know, some of, when that band broke up, I think, like, the bass player went to on to be a doctor or something. I don't know. I haven't talked to those guys in years. but uh, So maybe people had aspirations, but I just wanted to play music. And, and just, you know, day-to-day was kind of the way I was living, even then, you know. And, uh, you know, I was also in a boy's home at the same time, like, It was a boy's home, but where I could come home to my brother's on the weekends, you know, so I would, I would tell my brother I'm staying at the home for the weekend and I would tell the home I'm going to my brother's. So that was another way I would get out, you know, of, of any responsibility and I could go play shows, you know? So it, it, I mean, it finally just, you know, I just ended up running away from both places and, uh, you know, going to Texas going to California and just, you know, from,
0: were you just crashing with friends as you were going to these different places?
1: Yeah. Just people I knew, or, I mean, there was times when I slept under a building or something, you know, just different things, you know, anywhere I could, but mostly friends, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know cuz because you were kind of like living this you know very uh nomadic lifestyle and i know you, you know you were introduced to you know drugs and alcohol and stuff at a very you know early age as well um i, I guess how you know was that a product of the surroundings that you were with you know where it's like well everyone else is partying so like why would i not party um you know no. I, I guess how did that yeah
1: No, not at all. And it wasn't, it wasn't early age, really. I, I didn't get into, I didn't even drink beer or or anything until maybe I was like 17, you know, I mean, uh, I smoked pot later than that, you know, like that was, I mean, I was, you know, I admired the, the DC scene and minor threat and all that, but I, you know, we were not going to say we were straight edge or anything. I mean, we would say it jokingly, but we weren't, uh, I mean, you would, somebody would put an X on their hand and, you know, it was, it was kind of a silly thing because we knew we weren't from that city. So we're not going to you know steal this thing, but, uh, but so we kinda of, nobody none of my friends really were into anything until I got a little bit older and, you know, we started like you know, having a beer here and there to show. It it wasn't peer pressure or anything. It was just like, you know, I'm seventeen, I'm gonna start, you know, having drinking beer. You know, maybe sixteen was probably sixteen's probably more like it, but uh Okay, start having a beer here and there, you know and and, and I liked it, you know, I enjoyed it. Uh, the, like maybe the es- escapism of it, I don't know, I don't know what made me like it, but then you know, from sure. there, you know later, I you know started smoking weed and and then it goes from there.
0: right, right, yeah, and then yeah, once stuff becomes more available, it's like, well yeah, why would I not try that?
1: Well, I mean, it's like it's not really yeah available, but more like you know like what's next? What's, it's just like with music it's like what's the next extreme you know like what can i get into now that's going to be exciting i guess i get bored very easily you know and uh so we're just always looking for the next thrill the next kick as they sure. say. uh as yeah they, but um you know that was that was the thing you know
0: yeah and so, you know, as you were kind of bouncing around and, you know, like you said, you were really pursuing, you know, playing music. I know um, kind of one of your, for lack of a better term, like more serious bands, was like Suffocation of Faith, was that more of a like, hey, we gigged around a decent amount and like we toured a little bit? Or um, was I Hate God kind of more your first quote unquote official band where you're putting out records and stuff like that?
1: Well, it was Suffocation by Filth was the name of the band. Oh,
0: sorry. My fault. There we go
1: yeah that's very important
0: it is i i agree you gotta you gotta make sure the the band name is appropriate
1: well i mean teenage waste was my first important band because you know i mean i was 15 and 16 years old in that band and uh we were probably together about a year i mean we had uh we played a lot of local gigs in new orleans we never recorded but we planned to i wished we had recorded with teenage waste but uh Um, we, we even had a residency, if you want to call it that, we used to play twice a week at this dive bar called the Rose Tattoo, which was on Chapatula street in New Orleans. Uh, and, um, we, there was a local band called the Sluts who were like my favorite local band. Uh, and, uh, you know, I got to know those guys from shows and stuff. And, and, uh, they asked, they saw us play, saw me play and they said, do you want to play with us every tuesday and friday and we said of course you know so that was it right there so i mean that to me was important you know that that band went on for at least a year and we we played all those shows but suffocation suffocation by filth was more like 84 there was a little time i went with no band at all you know just trying to decide what i wanted to do next you know music was changing so fast and things were getting boring fast you know um i mean the excitement of punk rock was so high the energy it was such a a a buzz you know getting into that stuff in the beginning it just kind of there was, you just needed that constantly it kind of goes with the drugs i guess but uh i mean later on but you know so uh, the music was always changing like uh i think by like 84 like hardcore was like getting very generic and a lot of it was very boring. There were still some great bands, of course, I'm not saying that, but it was starting to get a little boring to me. So I started getting into like post-punk stuff, you know, like Birthday Party and uh Einstein and Abouten and uh, I don't know, Scratch Acid and The Scientists and all these bands like that. But at the same time I was getting into like uh, thrash stuff. Like Slayer and Exodus, and you know the the German bands like Destruction and bands like Bathory and all those. So that was like newer and fresher to me. Like after hardcore had gotten kind of stale. So, but I, I mean, I still love all the hardcore bands. Hardcore bands, you know, but uh, it's just going to the next thing that was like exciting.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're looking for uh you know trying to do something quote-unquote new so i can understand where you're like okay i like all these bands that don't sound alike but maybe if we try to combine all them what would that sound like
1: i mean yeah i mean that's kind of an idea but uh yeah i was just saying how like from hardcore going into newer stuff and then it just became you know everything just listening to everything reggae You know, I mean, you know, hip hop or rap as it was called then was, was something that, you know, we liked. Um, it just, there's a lot of different things going on. But, uh, so after suffocation by filth, I mean, we did, we did a decent bit of shows too, but not as many as I wanted, you know, I wish we had played more. Um, but I don't know, there was issues with that band that kind of fell apart. Um, Let's see. Uh, after suffocation by Philp, there was another little period of time where I didn't have a band. You know, there was like I was just kind of like fuck it, I'm just gonna do whatever. And uh, like around '87, I got in a band with some people and started a band called Crawl Space, which was more kind of voivod sounding, like uh, kind of kind of like I don't know if you know this band Confessor. It was kind of like Confessor voivod. Sure stuff, you know, so that was 87 at that point.
0: Got it. Got it. And as you were, um, you know, kind of pursuing all these, you know, different musical outlets and stuff like that. Um, were you just bouncing around at like, you know, random job to random job, like, you know, whatever, obviously kept food on the table, so to speak.
1: Um, well, uh, let's see what happened. Well, my brother ended up moving out of the apartment. So I just I lived there by myself when I was like by the time I was like, I think it was later as uh, like almost 17, 16, 17 again. So, um, yeah, I had a few shitty jobs like working at a sandwich place or something, you know, just just, um, you know, the rent was super cheap. So that didn't really matter. So yeah, I had a few jobs like that, but I mostly tried to not work at all, you know. So um, I don't know. There's, there's. I mean, I couldn't list all my jobs, but it's pretty boring. Uh,
0: yeah, no, yeah, no, no, I no, no, for sure. The
1: answer is yes. I did have a bunch of yeah. jobs.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think that's the uh, idea. You know, when people are pursuing you know art whatever that may mean whether it's a band or you know writing a book or whatever the idea that that is the central point of your life and you build everything else around it where it's just like dude whatever i'll just work in a bagel shop i don't care because i, I could just quit when i need to go on tour or whatever
1: yeah i mean i'd, I'd mainly try to survive without working at all you know but uh and, and that that only goes so far but you know
0: it's yeah. good. yeah for sure um you know, clearly a, a through line, especially, you know, once, uh, you know, I Hate God started to exist and you started to put up music into the world was the, you know, the nihilism <clears throat> and the fact that there was, uh, you know, a, a lot paid attention to with what the band was just, you know, reveling in, where it's just like, you know, this doesn't matter, nihilism, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then you know, over time, obviously you ha- you know have gone through a lot in your life to where that nihilism always exists as an undercurrent with you, but then there are many positive things going on in your life. Um, how have you kind of like, I guess uh, you know tempered that over time where it's like, yes, I can still be nihilistic, but I can still care about stuff <laughs> you know
1: I don't know. I mean, it was never a, a choice to be nihilistic. I've never like you know, went out of my way to be like that or anything. It was just a natural progression of my life. You know I mean? There's things I believe in and things I don't believe in. So, I mean, I just always, you know, kept to those ideals, I guess. And just, I just pretty much hated society as, as, you know, I mean, a lot of people do, but I don't know. That was a, a mainstay in my life. I just, I don't know. Um, What was your question
0: again? No, that, you know, you hit the nail on the head where it's like that your distaste for humanity, that, you know, that was where the nihilism was focused into. It's not like you let that bleed into other aspects of your life where you could like never create a relationship with somebody.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I've always had relationships, you know, and um, yeah, that never affected anything. I mean, it was just what I was interested in, you know, I mean, you know, that's it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, when I Hate God started to become, for lack of a better term, like more serious, where, you know, you signed with Century Media, you guys started to, you know, tour and everything like that. How did you kind of react to the business implications of the band? You know, it's like, oh, once we got paid $500 for a show, like, you know, wow, that's crazy. Um, did you like the business aspect of it? Was it just kind of a necessary evil? You know, how did you kind of navigate that?
1: Well, I, I always say that um, music business is an oxymoron because, uh, I don't know, it's just business and music don't go together at all. You know, but we, we didn't take I Hate God seriously till we had – I mean, I don't even know if we still do. But we, uh, you know, we all had other bands at the time. We, when I Hate God – the idea for I Hate God started in 1986 – when me and Jimmy – Jimmy was playing drums in a local New Orleans band called Shellshock, who were – they were a hardcore punk band, but they kind of fell into that thing that a lot of bands did. They started a little – got a little more metal, you know. But I was their, I was their roadie and, uh, you know, their merch guy. So we, me and Jimmy were on tour in 1986, and we thought of this idea. I mean, we were listening to a lot of Melvins and St. Vitus, The Obsessed, but also, you know, tons of other stuff, but like, you know, the my hardcore punk roots, you know, were always there. So like from Black Flag and Black Sabbath is what the simplified version of that is. That's what we wanted to do a band like and we were hearing it in our heads, you know, like the Melvins were out, you know, and there was a couple bands doing similar things, but we didn't actually get the band together till 1988. And I wasn't even in it on the first incarnation of the band. There was another singer before me. He's actually the guy that thought of the name of the band and all that. This guy Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, he he only lasted two rehearsals, and uh, he's now a born again Christian. That's the true story. But uh, so I, as soon as he left, you know, after he had start thought of the name and all this, and it was still like. I've always thought it was like me and Jimmy's band, even though I wasn't in it for two rehearsals, you know, but uh, I I jumped right in and was like, well, I'm the singer, you know, now. And the the other band I kind of just forgot about, uh, you know, the band, that was Crawl Space, the other band I was in. I kind of just like got bored with doing that stuff, like kind of thrashy metal stuff was pretty boring at that time. So uh yeah, I hate Gods just seemed like an exciting prospect, you know, and we just wanted to play really slow and, and extreme and aggressive and uh and you know, just cause trouble. And that's basically what we did.
0: Right. Yeah, that was the that was the mantra of the band moving forward.
1: <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I mean it it was exciting, you know, it was it was something fun to do. Just sure. I mean, you know, you're opening for like these thrash metal bands uh and you're doing this really I mean back then I mean we couldn't really play our instruments uh we didn't write great songs at all I mean a lot of those old songs in the first album were just parts put together like we didn't know how to structure anything so we would just go up and it was almost like uh, I don't know it was like an experimental act almost you know we would we would just play the super slow stuff and people would just get really angry and want us to get off the stage but we kind of we fed off that you know that was uh that was something we liked
0: sure sure the um the antagonistic nature of you know the relationship between a band and an audience
1: yeah and i mean that's nothing new obviously it's uh i mean i was like influenced by flipper you know and there was a band called kill slug out of uh the boston area that um that were doing the same thing like slow stuff with very strange vocals they they did but so you know we just took did it the way we wanted to and and it only got serious i guess it started it got serious so slowly like it was still to us like whatever we don't care what happens you know with this band we um we know we got like reviewed in maximum rock and roll and they gave us like this good review uh, Chris Dodge there did that. In, in,
0: oh, yeah, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah, Chris Dodge is an old friend of mine, man. He's uh, I've been knowing him since the late 80s. So, yeah, he gave us a good review in there, and we were like shocked that we got a good review. I think I sent in like a rehearsal tape or something and like put a cover on it, like it was a demo. But uh, I mean, I, he liked it, and uh, I don't know, people started taking interest in this thing we were doing and that we we were really just trying to be annoying, you know, and get under people's skin. But uh, so it was a gradual thing about taking it more serious. You know, the next, the second album we started, you know, like the songs are a lot better written and, you know, that's all Jimmy and those guys that wrote that those, but uh, you know, the music to all that. So things were progressing very slowly.
0: Right. Yeah. It wasn't like the, you know, (laughs) upon, uh, you know, the release of the second LP that it was all of a sudden like, Oh my gosh, we're world famous. Like clearly that wasn't the case. So I get, No,
1: I mean, and we never, we never had those aspirations anyway. We didn't, we weren't trying to be rock stars at all. And we weren't trying, we didn't think we could get rich off of this or, you know, we didn't, we just wanted to do what we wanted to do. And that's all there is to it. You know?
0: Yeah, absolutely, um, and, and kind of on that same tip. Uh, once you started to get out there and tour and experience, you know, life in the van, uh, did you immediately take to it? Was it difficult for you? I mean, I know you lived a nomadic lifestyle before, so you were kind of used to it. But uh, you know, what was touring uh, exciting for you when you first started to do it?
1: Oh, of course, of course, it was. It was a whole new world. I mean, the first tour we ever did was to Europe, you know, in like late i think it was late 92 or something like that and uh yeah it was amazing i mean you know it was something insane to us we you know that's back you know before the internet before even before the euro you know i mean there was still you had like 10 different kinds of money in your pocket at all times from all these different countries and It was, uh, it was, it was strange and fun and and I was always up for a challenge, you know, so, and we wanted to take it serious as far as playing live, you know, we, there's always that looming demon over your head of the, the record labels and the music business. But, uh, you know, we were, um, we just wanted to play live. So yeah, it was totally great.
0: Yeah. And, as you you know started to tour more um did your relationship with touring change cuz i know that some people you know when you're spending 8 months out on the road uh that that can get a little you know grating on a person after a while or did you you know just kind of view it as the day-to-day adventure that you were kind of living in
1: no it never gets old to me and uh, we love to tour i mean it's uh i'm sorry Oh, I'm just looking at it. I just got a text. But anyway, um, we loved the tour. Um, we, I mean, in, from, we just toured from 2017 to 2020. I mean, so yep. that just happened. I mean, you know, we, well, I mean, the most we had off in that whole time was like three weeks, you know, maybe three weeks here and then another week somewhere else. But um yeah I mean no touring has always been fun and you, you, it's the unpredictability of the whole thing you don't know what's going to happen but uh you know you, it's it's just great I mean I don't know how to describe yeah. it yeah
0: <laughs> no no for sure yeah yeah, yeah. there are, there are people where it's like you settle into the routines of tour. And obviously, even though it's, you know, a lot of sitting around, it's still exciting. So no, I totally get where you're coming from.
1: I mean, yeah, there's a lot of boring aspects of it for sure. But, um, you just, you know, as you go on, you learn what to do with your time and how to, you know, meter out your day and all that stuff. And then the best part is the hour and a half you're on stage, you know, later on. So, it's yeah. definitely uh still exciting to us. It's still fun. We we always said if it's not fun then we're not going to do it. So but we're still doing it all these years later cuz it's still fun.
0: Sure, absolutely. The um this may be a really odd observation, but um your guys you know merch and you know the aesthetic that you create uh in regards to that kind of you know reminds me of bands especially kind of in the early 90s you know, bands like Cradle of Filth and Cannibal Corpse, where it's like, you know, they have shirts like, you know, Jesus is a cunt and then, you know, Cannibal Corpse has like, you know, butchered at birth or whatever. (laughs) And I, I mean, I just, and then, you know, I mean, the, the sort of imagery that you guys use on shirts is definitely provocative from that perspective. And I think that like, as a kid, as you're starting to navigate, you know, independent music, whatever that may mean, and you start to see these shirts and images, you're just like, what the hell is that? Um, is that just like, is that fun to, you know, kind of hear that feedback from people being like, Oh, I'm never freaking get that. I hate God shirt or whatever. Like, or is that even part of your consideration as you're pulling that stuff together?
1: Um, I think those bands are silly. The ones you mentioned though, but, um, yeah, I mean the only, the, the, the only shirt I think we ever made that was even like, uh, transgressive, like that was the kill your boss shirt. And then that's not even that bad. The record label made a shirt that we had nothing to do with back in the '90s, uh, and we people still think that we made the shirt. It had a, some some conversation on the back about rape or something. That was not our shirt, and it's unfortunate though that we I have to explain this all the time. You know, but, sure. Um, yeah, that was really stupid. I don't, I don't know what they were. We didn't make that shirt. You know, we show up in Europe and they've got merch for us. It's another shitty thing about a record label, you know. And uh, but I'm trying to think what other shirts that we made personally that were offensive or anything. But kill your balls. yeah. No, just, you know, I don't know. Uh,
0: no, that's honestly that's a really good point, and I'm glad you articulated that because it is. Um you know, because I'm sure that, uh, you know, Century Media or whatever other people that were like, we're doing merch for you guys. There probably was that point where it's like, okay, you know, this band's trying to press buttons and, you know, create a reaction. So why not we lean into that and do a really crazy shirt design? So yeah, I, I get that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess that's what happened, you know? Um,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Like one of the things they put on the shirt was like, I guess we had sent them like, something i don't know like in the mail like it was a flyer from like a local new orleans gig from some other band you know you you mail letters you stuff all these things in there so that flyer just happened to be in there and they took this band's flyer and like put it on our shirt like and it was just really stupid and we were just like what the fuck you know like right you know labels don't get us i mean they they never do uh I don't know. They've never really gotten us. I mean, maybe nowadays they do a little better, but yeah, to do something like that without asking or any approval and all that really just kind of pissed us off, you know? But at the time we were just like, well, what are we going to do? Like they're, they're printed, they're sitting here, you know, you know,
0: are we going to sue them? Yeah. Right. We couldn't
1: afford to if we wanted to, you know I mean? It's just one of those things, you know, I look back on it and it it sucks, but you know, I don't know. It's one of those things.
0: Right. Yeah. No, you can't, you can't change it at all. So yeah, no, but I appreciate you sharing that. Obviously this is like, yeah, I think the most uh, crazy shirt we did was kill your boss. So yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah, I'm trying
1: to think of any other ones we did that were, I mean, we always like to be really artistic with our shirts. Like you can, you can tell that that shirt I'm talking about was something they made because it wasn't our style. I mean, they were trying to do it in like my art style. Like I I did all the early album covers, you know, and um, I don't know. They were trying to do that, but it just didn't, it didn't make any sense. But um, I don't, I don't think there was any other shirts like purposely. I mean, there's a shirt we have with a guy jumping off a building. I mean, if that's right, uh, I mean, by a noose, I mean, that that to me is not offensive i don't know it's part of life you know those things
0: yeah no i i i agree um yeah and i definitely did not mean to draw a straight line between cradle of filth and i hate god because clearly two different bands on very different levels (laughs) yeah i (laughs) Um, i don't
1: know i mean good for them whatever they're doing you know and selling right whatever but you know just uh
0: yeah, this wasn't what you were going for.
1: We actually um, we actually played with Cradle of Filth at, uh, in France at this festival called Hellfest. and uh,
0: Hellfest, right, 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 right. <laughs> seeing
1: uh, that singer, they played at like three in the afternoon too. So seeing the singer walk out of his, there was like tents for dressing rooms. He walked out of his dressing room and uh, he's got the whole makeup and the whole, he's got like a trench coat and it's like, it looks like something like from Hellraiser or something. But, uh, right. and he, but he's walking out, and it's it's like bright daylight outside. It was pretty funny, though.
0: Sure, yeah. You're like, one of these things does not look like the other. It,
1: it is, <laughs> I mean, we got a kick out of that, but I don't know. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, last, uh, last two things I wanted to hit on were the idea that, you know, something that i noticed as a sort of you know just a bystander uh was the you know when you went to jail and the kind of sense of community that uh you know sprung around you know people trying to support you either you know by writing letters or obviously you know like what randy and phil did in regards to you know raising money and all that sort of stuff um you know i know community is spoken a lot about in regards to you know punk and hardcore and metal and all these subcultures um I guess, did you kind of truly feel that reflected uh, on you? Or was it just kind of like the close group of friends that you made through this that really, um, you know, uh, I guess showed it showed itself?
1: No, um, I uh, I totally appreciate all. But, you're talking about when I went to jail in like 2006. Yeah. Randy and Phil had, well, Phil had a little bit to do with it, but Randy had nothing to do with that at the time. Okay. Okay. Uh, Randy sang, um, sang for "I Hate God" when I was in the hospital, but that was you know like ten years many later. years later. But yep, uh, yep. when I was in the hospital, I got a lot of letters in jail. Actually, I mean that was not my first time in jail. I guess you probably thought that, but uh, it, you know, I mean that was jail is whatever. You know, it, it is what it is. But um, I was in the hospital, you know, in uh, two thousand. 16 and ended up getting a a liver transplant and uh there was you know randy went out and did some shows with the band because uh these shows were already booked we were touring we were going to tour with discharge who are like one of my favorite bands but uh i couldn't do it so randy did it and i'm glad the band did that because um you know just you know it's discharge <laughs> but uh, right like, yeah, we got to like raising money or anything for me they were just doing that for the you know the band itself but um there was a lot of people that supported me when i was in the hospital and uh, you know you know we had some it, my wife had these donations and things set up, you know, so I didn't have right. to do with it. I didn't even really want to publicize the fact that I was even in there, you know. It was like, why, what's the point? But anyway, so, yeah, that was overwhelming as far as the fans go and the people, and I, I was really thankful. You know, that actually kept me going while I was in the hospital, you know, people writing and, you know uh, – wishing me well or you know all this stuff it was a, a positive thing in my life at that time
0: oh that's great no it's awesome because you know sometimes you can feel like that might be lip service that's that's paid to you know it's like oh the community of metalheads or community of hardcore kids and you know when you see it in real life that's when it's like oh that's meaningful
1: yeah i mean it was you know people of all kinds and all that like all types of music you know
0: Yep, absolutely for sure. I mean, we don't. Um, I hate
1: God does not consider ourselves a metal band at all. I, I don't. No, you know, I don't. We've. I mean, we obviously get lumped in that category for some reason, but I mean, we have people of all types that come see us. You know, it's we have all the weirdos and outcasts that you know get kicked out of other shows at our shows. So,
0: right? Yeah. <laughs> no, totally. Um, and kind of not too dissimilar to what I was bringing up at the very, very beginning in regards to, I'm sure it's funny for you to, you know, hear stories about, you know, the band and yourself that, you know, either are or not true, but I'm sure that many people come to, you know, either uh, your shows or meeting you and obviously have a preconceived notion about who you are. Um, Is it one of those things that, um, you know, you find it, uh, interesting that uh people have built this you know for lack of a better term like mystique about you that it's like oh yeah like mike from i hate god like he's nice but he's kind of crazy and like whatever they're putting into their own heads <laughs> um you know is it funny for you to kind of have that uh, for lack of a better term like reputation or celebrity
1: i mean it's cool and all but i really don't know what people think about me i mean I mean, only when they write me on, uh, social media and say, fuck you, we hate you. You know, that, that sure. that's one thing, but no, I mean, I don't right. know what this, if there's any mystique or anything like that. I haven't, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure people have their make, people don't, they, they don't dig deep enough to find out the real facts. You know, they kind of just go on the surface of things and just, you know, they don't, uh they just assume things and i think that's kind of silly i mean it's uh there's so much to this band and there's so much to my life and and history and all these things uh i mean yeah there's crazy stuff that's happened and then there's you know i mean we're actually kind of positive fun people you know i mean the the band is is the catharsis for us you know to get on stage and play this dirty filthy nasty you know feedback laden music and uh you know the the artwork and the lyrics and all those things are the lyrics are just about reality and you know that things that are real that people don't want to face but but you know underneath all that we're we're decent people and uh people should seek that out and find out more before they you know start saying stuff
0: Right, right. What well, I, I guess on that same note, what would be um, something uh, that I guess would either um, you know surprise people about you, where it's just like, oh, you know what, Mike's really into, um, you know, like collecting Beanie Babies or something like. That. <laughs> That's an extreme example, but you know, what what's something that you could think uh, of to uh, you know surprise a person that uh, they may not know about you?
1: I don't know. I think pretty much people know that I like a lot of different things and I'm open minded about everything. I mean, it's no secret that I'm an ABBA fan, but I don't know. Sure. I don't know. Right. I mean, maybe someone didn't know that, but, uh, I mean, if, you know, if they're just finding out about the band or something, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. I, I put you on the spot there. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. You being an ABBA fan. Totally cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're, they write, well, they wrote great songs. Whoever wrote them
0: great pop structured songs absolutely absolutely. I could see you guys doing an ABBA cover and doing it justice
1: Uh, we may do that
0: (laughs) that's awesome well Mike thanks for hanging out dude I really appreciate you uh, you know ping ponging around all these random places but um, yeah thank you so much for your time
1: yeah man no problem good talking to you
0: Let's go. How about that conversation? Mike Williams. Thank you very much, Mike. And thank you very much, Monica, his publicist, for uh, putting this into motion and uh, executing it. Because uh, I was excited to have this conversation with Mike. Like I said, I've always liked his band and wanted to pick his brain, and we accomplished that. So next week is another—again, I just love the wide palette of guests that we can bring onto this show because they all fall into that awesome DIY independent music world— Next week, I've got Dylan Baldy from Cloud Nothings. This was a really fun conversation because uh, I don't know—he just super open guy, very chill. Uh, we actually go through a saga that I'm I'm trying to figure out if I leave in there <laughs> because he was actually getting his dinner delivered to him, and they kept calling him, telling him like, "Oh, we're out of beans. Can we switch this out? Uh, we have no cilantro." It was a—it was quite a saga. <laughs> And we had a lot of fun with it. But yeah, Cloud Nothing's just put out a new record. So I had to have them on. And that's what we do for next week. Until then, please be safe, everybody.